welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and this is the place to find beautiful and broken companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, here you'll meet embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints but they were sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of Fanny Lou Hamer with scholar of American politics and religion, Larisha Hawkins. I'm delighted that you're here with us. Fannie Lou Hamer was an unlikely American leader. At 44 years old, she was an unknown sharecropper from the Mississippi Delta, where she and her family were just barely surviving. News of the emerging civil rights movement hadn't reached the plantation where they lived. Then, one night in 1962, she heard a rousing sermon, an invitation to claim the power of the vote Right then and there, Mrs. Hamer heard Jesus call her to work for civil rights. When they asked for volunteers to go down to the courthouse, she raised her hand as high as she could get it. Later, she'd say, I guess if I'd had any sense, I'd have been a little scared. But what was the point of being scared? White people have been killing me a little bit at a time ever since I can remember. Fannie Lou Hamer joined a beloved community that promised liberty and empowerment, friendship and song. But from that moment forward, it would bring sacrifice, suffering, and persecution too. The very next day, Fannie Lou and 17 others tried to register to vote. And by nightfall, Fannie Lou Hamer had been harassed by the police, fired from her job, kicked out of her sharecropper's house, and separated from her family. She was homeless and jobless, but determined. For $10 a week, Mrs. Hamer worked day and night for voter registration. She had no doubt that Jesus himself demanded action in the struggle for civil rights. Pious words were simply not enough. Fannie Lou Hamer declared, It's easy to say, sure, I'm a Christian and talk a big game, but if you are not putting that claim to the test where the rubber meets the road, then it's high time to stop talking about being a Christian. You can pray till you faint, but if you won't get up and do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And she sang. Singing brings out the soul, she said. Even tortured and locked up in the Winona town jail, Fannie Lou's voice rang out with songs of deliverance. Paul and Silas bound in jail, let my people go. Fannie Lou Hamer envisioned a beloved community where belonging meant both risk and true companionship. The 1964 Freedom Summer Initiative brought college students to Mississippi 
starry-eyed volunteers from all over the United States. When young recruits arrived at orientation, anxious and at loose ends, Mrs. Hamer began to sing out in a majestic voice, calling black and white together. The volunteers would be sustained by her inspiring songs, righteous rhetoric, and tactical action. But their united front was assaulted by increasingly violent racism. The summer began with the abduction and murder of young civil rights workers James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner. Was the old Jim Crow system going to stand after all? Fannie Lou and her compatriots were determined to give voice to people excluded from the electoral process, so they formed the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. They traveled all the way to the 1964 National Convention of the Democratic Party to challenge the credibility of the official all-white Mississippi delegation and demand to be seated as participants in the convention. Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, African-American native of the Delta, one of 20 children, the girl who was forced to leave school after sixth grade to work in the cotton fields, that same Fannie Lou took to the stage for the cause of her community. On national television, Mrs. Hamer delivered an eloquent account of oppression in the segregated South, of her own suffering, and of her people's struggle for civil rights. She and her brothers and sisters had come all this way, and they were fed up, sick and tired of being sick and tired but they would not be denied. Fannie Lou Hamer's words still inspire today. I question America, she said. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off the hooks because our lives be threatened daily, because we want to live as decent human beings in America? When the Voting Rights Act of 1965 brought in voting protections for all Americans, she and her beloved community had won the day. Fannie Lou Hamer always saw the fight for justice as a spiritual one. It was founded upon a living relationship with Jesus. One pastor said that Mrs. Hamer spoke of Jesus casually, confidently, and constantly. She showed us how to lead as Jesus led. She offered up her life for her brothers and sisters, for people of all races and ages, for all of us. In the hard places, she stepped up first, leading before she asked anyone else to make a sacrifice. Her faith gave her the insight to say, Christ was a revolutionary person out there where it was happening. That's what God is all about, and that's where I get my strength. It's no wonder that a fellow civil rights activist said of Mrs. Hamer, why not follow somebody like that? Why not just reach out with one hand and say, just take me along? The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, visit my website, 
karenwrightmarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes and invite your friends to join us. Now for my conversation about Fannie Lou Hamer with Larisha Hawkins. It's a great pleasure to introduce Dr. Larisha Hawkins, an American scholar, author, and speaker. The Reverend Jesse Jackson called Larisha Hawkins a modern-day Rosa Parks after her activism ignited a national and international conversation about the nature of God and the possibilities for multi-faith solidarity. Her story has been told in the New York Times and is the subject of an award-winning documentary film, Same God. Dr. Hawkins is on the faculty at the University of Virginia, where she teaches in the departments of politics and religious studies and serves in the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab. I'm delighted to have her as a Charlottesville neighbor and grateful to count her as a friend. Welcome to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast, Larisha. Thanks. It's good to be with you, Karen. Larisha, talking about Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer, the amazing Fannie Lou Hamer and her life and her witness, what do you find most notable about her? Wow. I I find Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer to be one of the most undersung heroes of the United States. What I love about Fannie Lou Hamer is I'm a black woman raised in the black church. Unlike Fannie Lou Hamer, I have an 18th grade education, actually more than 18th grade. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> I have a PhD, which is cray cray, but she had a sixth grade education and she taught, she led, and the black church songs and hymns that motivated her soul, motivate my soul. And I just think that there is in her life so many examples of lived theology, living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus who is stayed on freedom, as, as the civil rights song goes, woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom, comes from a song, woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on Jesus. Um, and that black gospel song was converted into a freedom song, woke up this morning with my mind, stayed on freedom. And so, again, the songs of her own spirituality are what drove her, what literally putting feet to faith, like marching, those were marching orders, right? And I think that that animation of what we would call politics, again, shows how we can't separate our lives into these spheres, like cordon them off, that part of being a Jesus follower is following Jesus into the justice work that Jesus is doing in the world. And so this is what I find most notable about her life and witness, the specific things like going into marching, you know, marching into the 1964 Democratic National Convention and saying, I question America. It's amazing. That's who I want to be, Karen. I want to be her, right? And so I just, 
I draw such inspiration from her witness. And she reminds me of someone who came before her by about um, not even 100 years before her, Ida B. Wells Barnett, who was an anti-lynching advocate and a woman. These women, like in a time when women were told to like be quiet, right? Um, Both in the church and outside of the church. And these women are crusading for justice on the right side of history and doing so in Black female bodies that were despised in their time at great risk to their own lives as well. You know, she suffered the loss of her job, her home, and, you know, alienation and separation from family and friends, you know, and physical persecution and abuse because of what she committed to, which was justice, political justice. And she's an example of, um, like many other people in your wonderful book, of people who are willing to risk everything. And in her case, she had little. And it's a big sacrifice to have so little and to still be willing to risk everything. Well, you you do come from a long line, Larisha, of women, uh, strong Black women who stood up and stand up. And I, I know there are younger students and friends of yours who would who would probably say the same of you. And it, it brings up, of course, your story. Uh, I first heard about you uh, in the newspaper when you were teaching at Wheaton College and you wore a hijab during Advent as an act of solidarity and really of love uh, for Muslim women. And, and you paid a price. I mean, you, you paid the price of your livelihood of sacrificing your career. And we have the benefit, of course, of having you here at the University of Virginia now. But I'm interested to see the connection between Mrs. Hamer and, and your story. Yeah, I think for me, growing up in the Black church, like I said, I, I think that one of the things that I'm I feel most emboldened to do is really speak in the prophetic voice, which I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying the mode of the prophetic voice, right? And what that means is the example throughout scripture that we have as prophets and Jesus being culminating, you know, prophet, priest, and king in one body that Jesus is in the line of prophets who were speaking truth to government entities, the powers, the principalities, and crying out that justice and peace must embrace, that we can't Mm. say we're righteous if justice is not ensuing in the places and communities where we are, that Jesus insisted that the places that he would go, that what his ministry would be about, like he declares this after his baptism, right? In Luke chapter five, Jesus declares that his ministry will be to the most oppressed, that it will literally be to set captives free. And that's not just a spiritual metaphor that, you know, he's beckoning um, the prophet Isaiah. Um, He's literally quoting, (laughs) quoting prophecy, right? Um, he's the fulfillment of that prophecy, but he's also walking those words, right? And so what does it mean to be a Jesus follower except 
to do as the prophet Isaiah says in chapter one, seek justice, correct oppression, plead the widow's cause, to demand to princes who are advocates of rebels and thieves, that's what Isaiah says about many governments, right? That they're failing to do justice, that the truth is not lodged in the, the, in the kingdoms of the earth, and that God will bring judgment, but God will also bring healing. But who does God use in history? God uses God's people. God uses God's people to accomplish God's justice. It's not Larisha's justice. It's mm -hmm. not vengeance does not belong to me. And what I'm called to do is to live justice that, in fact, I can't say I'm righteous again if, if as the prophet Jeremiah says, if the people are not rejoicing, meaning if, if the hungry are not fed, mm -hmm. if the miserable are not clothed, if people are not housed, if there is no jubilee in the land. So how do we assure jubilee? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we have to become poor, we have to become humble, like the poverty of spirit is the humility that says, I don't have a darn thing to offer except my life yeah. for the cause of the justice that Jesus says Jesus' kingdom will accomplish on earth and in heaven. And what that looks like is walking a mile in my neighbor's shoes. And that's, that's how my story, I think, echoes her story is she was like, I've got to walk the walk. If, if I say I follow Jesus, then I've got to walk the walk, right? Can't just talk the talk, got to walk the walk. So I was approached by a student about doing it. And I said, okay, well, this is going to be my devotion during Advent to walk in my sister's hijab, my Muslim sister's hijab as a Christian. And um, so that's what I did. But it was most controversial, not ironically, amongst Christians who couldn't fathom that I would call Muslims my, my um, sisters and brothers, literally, as though the human family was relegated only to Jesus believers, right? But the last time I checked scripture, we're all created in the image of, of the divine one and the image of God. So, yeah. I mean, to hear you tell your story, it reminds me of Mrs. Hamer when she said, they asked for volunteers and I put my hand up as high as I could get it. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, you just, there was a moment, there was an opening and you raised your hand up as high mm. as it would go. Mm. You know, not not knowing, of course, what would come next. Right. Just as she, as she didn't. Um, well, I'd like to ask one more question, and it comes out of this quote from a speech that Mrs. Hamer gave in 1971. She said, we've got to have some changes in this country, and not only changes for the Black man, and not only changes for the Black woman, but the changes we have to have in this country are going to be for the liberation of all people, because nobody's free until everybody's free. And I'd be interested in hearing what these words bring up for you. Well, I mean, I think these words are just, they're peppered with truth. And 
while she's talking about the United States in specific, I think the words ring true for the entire world, right? Like that our liberation is all caught up with everyone else's liberation. I think that, you know, for Christians, this is a spiritual truth as well, that the creation yearns an eager expectation for justice, for truth, for the righteousness of God. All justice means is rightly ordered relationships in society, in the world, in nature, right? If we didn't have climate change, if we didn't waste so much, if we didn't this, if we didn't that, if we didn't have parts of the globe where water is so scarce that people are literally fighting over it, right? This is a truism because also, not just because our lives are increasingly connected to the globe because of social media and because of globalization economically, like these things aren't the things that make us connected. It's our humanity. This has always been true. And so what it brings up for me is it brings up a fight in me. It brings up a desire to actually be justice in my body. It brings up for me what our country is going through currently, which is questioning the very fiber of what it means to be quote unquote American, right? Like this is North America, of course there's South America, but I think what it brings up for me is this is a moment for us to live as though those words are true. What coronavirus has brought upon us is a vulnerability We're all vulnerable and susceptible to death right now. Like we are all susceptible to death. No one is immune. No one can escape the potentiality of contracting this disease. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing that has led people to finally see the brutality of how some police officers treat Black brown and otherwise, um, mostly people of color, men and women. And I think that it's that vulnerability. And so we have an important moment to press into our, our realization of our connectedness and our common vulnerability and to live this statement that no one's free until everybody's free. I should say nobody's free until everybody's free. And so I think that it's an exciting moment and I think we've got work to do. I think that it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. And it's, I want to rise to the occasion. I want to make her proud. You know, I just count her amongst the ancestors. It's a great hall of people who I aspire to emulate in, in life and in death. Yeah. And I I hear her words, Christianity is being concerned about your fellow man, you know, not building a million dollar church while people are starving right around the corner. 
She said Christ was a revolutionary person out there where it was happening. That's what God is all about. And that's where I get my strength. So Larissa, I think she gives us a, a woman to follow, someone to aspire to be more like. And I'm so thankful for this conversation that reminds us all about the truths of our own vulnerability and yet the hope and the promise of healing and unity. So thank you for talking with me today about this. Thank you, Karen. It was really good to be with you. Reflecting upon my conversation with Larisha Hawkins about Fannie Lou Hamer, I am challenged to follow these women and live with more courage. Courage to listen for God's call and to be ready when I hear it, to raise my hand as high as I can get it, to take action, no matter what the consequences might be. Wherever you are, whatever you might be facing, I hope that you'll answer God's call too. Karen Wright Marsh, the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Come by my website, karenwrightmarsh.com. There you'll find show notes and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.